Good evening, everyone. My name is Emily, and it's great to be sharing from the word this evening together. And a particular warm welcome if this is your first time at the six o'clock on Zoom. Let's pray together before we open up God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good Father. We thank you that you delight in us being with you and us spending time together in your presence. And I ask Holy Spirit that you would come now, that you would open up the word to us, that you would soften our hearts, that you would illuminate our minds, that you would reveal more of Jesus to us, that we might be transformed by your word tonight. We pray this for your glory, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I wonder when you think of the word power, what comes to mind? Perhaps it's the ability to do something. Perhaps it's to do with the powers of nature, the forces that are at work in the world around us. Perhaps it's the power of social media. It seems to be the thing that controls most of our lives. Perhaps it's powerful people like world leaders, business leaders, those that are in authority. Michelle Obama, one of the world's most influential women, she said something really interesting speaking about power. She said this in an interview. She said, I have been at probably every powerful table that you can imagine. I have worked at nonprofits. I have been at foundations. I have worked in corporations, served on corporate boards. I have been at G summits. I have sat in the UN and I have a secret. And the secret she says is that they're not that smart. And then honestly, she goes on to say in her own honesty, she says, I honestly have imposter syndrome and it never goes away. It's interesting as we think about what power really is, what does true power really look like? And as we start our new series together at the six o'clock um, service, we're gonna be looking through parts of 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the church there. And we'll be seeing that despite anything going on in our world, despite the shaking of powers, there seems to be that there is a power that is far greater. And that is the power of God. Towards the end of last year of 2020, um, I found myself as we were, I was in one of a small group and we were reading uh, Matthew's gospel together. And I just found myself being struck afresh by the way that wherever Jesus went, when he proclaimed the kingdom, when he spoke, things happened. It always brought about transformation that people got set free. They got healed. They got delivered. They turned and followed him. That where he went and he spoke, there was an impact. And later on, after reading that, I was walking down the Cowley Road. If you don't know, it, it's part of here in Oxford, a lot of students living there, but quite struck this time by just how much homelessness seemed to be on the rise on the street around me, how brokenness seemed to be a lot more evident. And I just found myself imagining what would it look like today if Jesus was walking along the Cowley Road? How might his power be moving along the street there? And as we consider the power of God, I'm sure many of us, as we've perhaps even been praying over this past week, thinking about situations in our own family lives or around our city or around the world. I don't know about you, but I long to see more of that power, that transforming power breaking into the world. Duncan Campbell, who preached at the Hebridean revival said this, he said, power, not influence, was the watchword of the early church. And the power of God is at work, that is at work in the world today it's not just for a select few. We read in scripture that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost on all people, that God made a way for us to be Jesus's hands and feet, to be part of bringing his kingdom, his power into the world around us. 
but sometimes we can get stuck in feeling that it's only for a few people or only happens in certain places, only when perhaps circumstances are going well or we feel confident. Which is why I'm really pleased that at the start of this series on the power of God, that we're not going to kind of focus on the necessarily on some of the, the miracles and what we can do, but we're going to start with the foundation of what it's all about. We're going to look at the message of the cross. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18, we read about the message of the cross that is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it's the power of God to those who are being saved. So keep that passage open. We're going to dip in and out of it now. Firstly, the message of the cross as foolishness. The atheist Richard Dawkins, who lives here in Oxford, actually, he is known for his um, scorn in Christianity for seeing belief in God as delusion. And he once said this, he said, by all means, be open minded, but not so open minded as to let your brains drop out. I recently saw a tweet that Ricky Gervais, the comedian, um, wrote he said this communal worship is fine during during lockdown apparently so if you want to see me perform on one, one of my hilarious sermons we just have to find really big churches the gospel message that we proclaim does seem utterly foolish to people many think people are weird or irrelevant for believing in and giving your life time money to god and the church that to gather for worship is no different than to gather for a comedy show or a concert. That to say Jesus dying on a cross over 2000 years ago can transform your life today is utterly foolish. It's foolishness to the intelligent and even a stumbling block to the religious leaders, to religious people. Yet here in Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, we have a learned man. He's speaking into the context of Corinth, the center of intellectuals, intellectual significance. It's the place of debaters, philosophers, teachers. He himself is a very influential, he himself is a very intelligent man. And he's speaking to a church context where there's disunity and faction. And he could have been so tempted to, to preach something that would have won people over, that got him on their side, got him on his side. Yet, as we read in verses 17 to 18, he opens, in verse 17, he opens with this. He says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel not with wisdom and eloquence, that the, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Despite our fairly secular society, I'd say that the majority of people here in the West have at least seen the symbol of the cross, be that on a piece of jewellery or just on churches, they know its association with Christianity. Yet in Roman times, the cross wasn't just a religious symbol or a metaphor for humility. It had only one meaning, and that meaning was a terrible form of capital punishment reserved for criminals. Cicero, writing around the time about the cross, said this. He said, the very word cross should be far removed, not only from a person of a Roman citizen, but from his thoughts, his eyes and his ears. Crucifixion is a, was a dirty word about weakness, humiliation and defeat. It wasn't actually until years after that it became the symbol of Christianity. Nevertheless, Paul only preached Christ crucified, this message of foolishness to the world. He didn't sweep the crucifixion of Jesus under the carpet, ignoring the unpopular popular part of the message. In a city of intellectual power and influence, he didn't skip over that bit. In fact, quite the opposite. This 
foolish, foolish message that he came to preach was that God through whom he made, who made the universe came into the world in the form of a tiny baby into a backwater place of insignificance. He took on a humble profession as a tradesperson. He never married or had children. He didn't amass a personal fortune. He didn't get any degree, degrees or buy a house or own property. He made himself of no reputation. He rode to Jerusalem, not as a conquering king, but as a, on a donkey, as the prince of peace. The most powerful God appears to be the most powerless. Verse 21 in that passage, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. I was recently speaking to a friend, a very intelligent guy who is an academic at the, the university here at Oxford. He works in public policy. And amazingly over the past year, he has come to that saving knowledge of Jesus. And I was asking him, well, what, what meant, did the cross mean to you before you became a Christian? He said, well, it was just a symbol. It was something he knew about in relation to Christianity that happened over two years, 2000 years ago, but it had no relevance to his life. It was insignificant. And I asked him, well, what does it mean now to you, now in the knowledge of his life being transformed? And he said this beautifully, he just said, well, it gives me daily power to be more loving, to be more forgiving. And then he said, just to cope with the stress and strains of life. You see, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those being saved in this man's life, in, in my life and in, in our lives, it is the power of God and it continues to be so. And oh, how we need more of that daily power in our lives. I wanna do a quick Zoom quiz with you. I know many of you are used to doing quizzes, but hopefully you're not too worn out. I'm gonna try to put it on gallery view. Um, does anyone know what the sign language for Jesus is? If you know it, just do it for me on the screen. I can see Ellie knows it. Great, yeah, quite a few know it. Yeah, this is the sign language for Jesus. And I was thinking about that this, this week, that how powerful that is, that even when we can't speak it, that the, the symbol for Jesus is still those nailed, pierced hands. There is no Jesus without the cross. The power of God can't be separated from the crucifixion. And I was reminded of this because my dad, not that long ago, um, he had an operation on both of his hands. He just to sort of sort out ligaments in his little fingers. And it was pretty, pretty gory scar he had on both of his hands. He loved to show them to us all. He actually sent me pictures in case I wanted to show them to you this evening, but I thought I'd spare you, spare you that. Um, but he said, I loved my scars because it reminds me of Jesus. And he actually said that um, we were talking about sign language for Jesus being pointing to those nail pierced hands. And he said, sometimes when he finds himself in a stressful or difficult situation, he'll actually do that in his hands just to remind himself as a way of praying for the power of God to come into a situation. He said, people might think he's a bit strange and have sort of a weird a tick thing that he does but that's his way of sort of declaring the power of the cross and it's really stuck with me that that Christ crucified was central to Paul's message because that was him preaching the power of God because Jesus's resurrection came through his death on the cross there was no other way for him to be resurrected as he hung naked and tortured fully man fully God taking on our sin Christ's victory came as he gave up his life for us. The cross, the cross demonstrates the power of God's love 
is far greater than the human love of power. And Paul, he wasn't an anti-intellectual man. We're not saying here at all that Christianity goes against good, wise thinking. He was an incredibly learned man. He wasn't opposed to being wise in how to communicate the gospel. And he was aware of the different contexts that he was speaking into. He even says later on in chapter nine, I become all things to all people um, in order to preach the gospel. He's not saying that intellect in and of itself is a bad thing, far from it. But in the city of Corinth, where the church had been tempted to look for apostle superstars, people who um, they could make famous, Paul, on the other hand, only pointed to not the stars, but again, Jesus's scars. His confidence was in the message of the cross. And in our city of Oxford, a place of global significance, wisdom is a wonderful thing. And we're seeing now like the impact of um, how stuff that happens here can go on and make a huge impact on the world. And we praise God for the way that he is working his kingdom through subjects and through people's studies. But you see, ultimately without God, without the hope of the gospel, it has no meaning. Paul knew that this, and he never got over the wonder of it, as Simon reminded us this morning. Paul's preaching didn't come with persuasive words, but the demonstration of the Spirit's power, the power that came through his weakness. Remember Jesus' words in the Beatitudes, where he paints that beautiful picture of what it is to live a Christ-like life. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It is the only way to seeing the power of the kingdom break in, poverty of spirit. So to see more power, we need to be weak, utterly dependent on God. And I think sometimes it can be easy if you've been to perhaps church conferences or read books about people that God seems to have used in, in mighty powerful ways to think that he only uses the, the polished, put together people. But the Bible is a story of God using again and again the foolish things to shame the wise. God using everyday normal people to do extraordinary things. Just look at who Jesus chose to be his disciples. And I'm convinced just again and again that God wants to use ordinary broken people, sinful as we are, weak and foolish, just like me and you to advance his kingdom. One of my favorite verses is later on in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 12, verse nine, he says, um, the Lord said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You see, it's all about God's wisdom, not our understanding. It's about his power in our weakness. And that way, all the glory goes to him. And it's a beautiful thing when we know we're weak because we actually get to trust in God. We get to walk closer to him, to be even more near to our creator. I often think of that story of Peter walking on water. We think about it was his failure when he looked away from Jesus and fell into the water. But I think actually it was a moment of great victory because in that weakness, he got to walk on water, holding hands with Jesus in such close intimacy to him. And I know in my life, some of the times when I've experienced the power of God breaking in and in the, the most way I've, ways I've seen, it's actually often been when I've been well and truly out of my depth, <laughs> when I've thought, what am I doing? I need you, God. But often it's those times where it's far more of an adventure. It's getting to see God break in into and join in with what he's doing. You don't need to wait until you're sorted, till you feel mature, till you've learned New Testament Greek to be used by God. He loves to meet you where you are, to, to, to use you and to delight in using you in your weakness. 
So finally, as we've considered the foolishness of the message of the cross, but also the power of the message of the cross, my final question to you this evening is, will you be a fool for Christ? Would you rather be a fool in man's eyes or God's eyes? From God's perspective in his economy, to become truly wise, we must become fools. Jim Elliot, a missionary who gave his life for the gospel said this, he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. The way to the power of God is the crucified life. To be a tool in the Lord's hands, we must become a fool. And what then does it look like to be a fool for Christ today? Perhaps in this um, lockdown season, you're feeling frustrated and a bit hopeless. You might be tempted, even in your own Christian walk, to think, what is the point? I'm not seeing any results. This Christian life isn't as easy as I thought it was going to be. But don't lose heart. Because to be a fool for Christ is to keep saying yes to him, even when it doesn't make sense. To not compromise on the message of the cross. To keep showing his love and mercy and forgiveness to others, even when you'd rather not. To not water down what, what we preach because it's the power of God, it's the message of the cross and it's the only message we have. I was thinking what then might it look like in our own lives to see this lived out. Perhaps it is listening to the still small voice of God to step out in faith. Perhaps it's to invite someone to Alpha that you haven't been able to for a long time. Perhaps it's the beginnings of steps of reconciliation with someone. However it might be, the, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to highlight areas this evening where he is calling us to surrender parts of ourselves where we've been afraid of perhaps fearing man and not God. He will specifically be touching those parts this evening. But as I was praying for this, this time together and just asking the Lord, what might really be holding us back from, um, from being fully living our lives out as fools for Christ? And I just, and what is the key to that? And I just heard him say quite simply, and it's just to have faith. And I feel like for many of us, there's been kind of a hardness and a difficulty in being able to trust in who God is at this time. But as we spend time in his word, as we pray, as we worship, let's not listen to the voice of the accuser or the narrative of the world around us that says to give up hope, but to have faith in the power of God that is the message of the cross. Last week, Simon was reminding us of the word that God had spoken to him about finding treasures in darkness in this time. And the, the darkness is more dark than ever right now. But as Paul also writes that we have this treasure, the gospel in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. That treasure of the gospel, that hope for a broken world that God has placed within each of us that have put our trust in Jesus, the more broken we are, the more we're willing to be a fool for him, the more it can shine out of us into the darkness of the world around us. If we wanna see the, the church impacting the world, we need to have that treasure glory of the Lord shining out of us and I just want to reassure you as we journey in this series looking at the power of God that it's not about kind of living pumped up hype lives and feeling confident in our own selves no it's about walking in dependence and trust in God and believing in his power to transform that as we actually grow in vulnerability and acknowledging our weakness that we can see more of his power at work in the world around us Oxford is a city built on success and it can be very hard even as that creeps into the mindset of the church to step out in faith, to look like a fool for Christ. The disciples at many times wanted Jesus to show his power in another way, but Jesus showed them the only way. The only way to power is the crucified life. 
And if we want to preach the cross, we have to, to carry the cross. There's no shortcut to the Spirit's power. I just want to finish with one final story that I really love about um, walking as in the power of Christ. And it's a story of a Scottish missionary. And, and it's, uh, I've read it in Michael Green's book, The Great Evangelist, about revival when God, God breaks in. And he says this, he says, in 1866, there was a Scottish missionary called George Stott, and he had a wooden leg. And he arrived in China and settled in Wenzhou, a place recorded as not having a single Christian. Gradually, a small church emerged. One of the Chinese boys who became a Christian was severely disabled. He was paralyzed down one side, but he became the first native Chinese evangelist in the area. The gospel spread and survived decades of hardship. However, it was then extinguished in the late 1960s as government persecution came down on the church. For more than two decades, it seemed that, that area, in that area that the church had completely disappeared. Yet, despite the persecution in the, late 19, in the late 20th century, as reform came to the area, that specific part of China has become one of the fastest growing churches um, that exists. And Michael Green commenting on this said that one-legged Scottish Scotsman and the paralyzed Chinese evangelist would have been delighted to see that the seeds they planted in the latter part of the 19th century had grown into such a mighty forest towards the end of the 20th. We have no idea in the economy of God how the prayers we pray when we feel our weakest, how the conversations we have when we step out in faith not feeling very confident, or the little acts of obedience that we take, how they are seeds of the kingdom that are sown in our families, in our streets, in, in our neighbourhoods, wherever it may be, just how big of an impact they can have for the kingdom. Because this is the power of cross, of the cross that was sown in weakness is raised to power in glory. That resurrection power is what is on offer to each and every one of us through the cross. So well, this evening, as we draw to a close, I'll pray. And then we'll, as we worship, I really just encourage you to be letting this message of the cross go deep into your heart this evening and to ask the Holy Spirit are there any areas he's calling you to surrender afresh to him tonight. Let me, as we pray, just read that those final two verses of our passage to us this evening. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, that the one who boasts boasts in the Lord. Lord Jesus, we thank you that it is in you that we can boast. It is in your glory, it is in your resurrection power that we can take heart. No matter what our situation is this evening, whether we find ourselves at a loss as we perhaps feel confused or a bit stuck, but we thank you, Jesus, that that resurrection power is on offer to each and every one of us. And I pray now by your spirit that you would just be softening our hearts, that you would take this word deep, that you would bring us to that place of utter dependence on the beauty and majesty and power of your crucified life. We pray that you would help us to live lives where we are willing to be a fool for you, to give our all for you. We welcome you here now, Holy Spirit, and we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Over to you, Lauren, to lead us now.